This is Passing for Normal, conversations with authors, artists, activists, and awakeners about how they are seeding change in the world. I'm Sharon Weil, author of Donnie and Ursula Save the World, the funniest book about love, sex, and GMO seeds you'll ever read. But mostly, it's about everyday courage and what it takes to get there in your own personal, even unconventional way. So join us for fun and insightful discussion with some very inspirational people about how to turn purpose and passion into action, while at the same time, passing for normal. Welcome to Passing for Normal. Today, I'm talking with changemaker Jacques Verdun. Jacques Verdun, somatic psychologist, is an expert on mindfulness, restorative justice, emotional intelligence, and transforming violence. Since 1997, he has pioneered innovative rehabilitation programs in San Quentin State Prison and is creating curriculum that reaches way beyond and is informing prison systems globally. He directs Inside Out, which organizes initiatives for prisoners and challenged youth that creates the personal and systematic change to transform violence and suffering into opportunities for learning and healing. He is also a father, a community organizer, teacher, and an outrageously great dancer. Welcome, Jacques. Welcome. Well, thank you. That's quite the welcome. <laughs> yeah. Well, so you know that this is a show um, about change, and we're looking at change from many different angles, really as many different angles as possible, what produces change or what helps us adapt to change. You've said that the work that you're doing is to bring about change, a change of heart in the tightest of places, like a tiny cell in San Quentin prison. You use the phrase, leaving prison before you get out. Can you talk to me about your work? Yes. Well, that, you know, that last slogan that sort of stuck to describe our work that you mentioned here, leaving prison before you get out, takes into account that, uh, you know, transformation is, is an inside job, no pun intended, mm-hmm. and that it's really important to offer people that are incarcerated a way uh, through their predicament. And so as a piece, as a part of prison reform, we found we can't just fight the system. We've got to roll up our sleeves and go to work in the trenches and, and you know, pioneer some of these things to find language and implementation for what is a culturally very different group, obviously, than most upper white middle class people who enjoy transformational programs. And, and offer it to them and experiment together uh, as to, you know, how we could set up a good program. So for the last 17 years, we've done exactly that and pioneered a number of programs, and the main one being the GRIP program. GRIP stands for Guiding Rage into Power, and it's a year-long program. And uh, there's four main elements to it, um, cultivating mindfulness, developing emotional intelligence, stopping violence, and also understanding victim impact. So we bring in a number of the victims to our stand of the program to have an exchange with the men. That's incredible. How does that go? How does that work? The the victim part? Yes. Well, it's interesting, uh, Sharon, because, you know, it's... 
I've I've sort of observed over time is that obviously you have a bond when, bond when you bring in life, you have a child. Yes. But you also have a bond when you take out a life, and it's though it's not for everyone to engage, and that's certainly to be respected. Mm-hmm. For a large number of people, it is actually you know they 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 feel like this was my beloved that that may perhaps lost his life or her life, and. And that was happened by a total stranger. I, I need to know who this is, or, or I have other needs. You know, we had a woman at some point, a rather extreme crime, uh, somebody on death row, who, who wanted to know what were the last words of, of my child when, when he was killed. So there's different mm. needs for the victims, mm. but, but there's uh, incredible healing to be done when uh, these parties come, come together, because... The courts, you know, deal with the facts, and depending on uh, how much money you have, you get good or not so good representation of those facts. That's right. But nobody deals with uh, uh, wounds. Nobody addresses the wounds. So uh, that's part of what we try to do with the program. So you're not only addressing the wounds of the victims, but also the wounds of the... um of the perpetrators, right? Um, yes, yes. There's a nice little anecdote that I'm fond of telling because it so well describes what we do, actually. Do you want me to? Oh yes, please uh, share with you. Yeah. Please. So okay. So there was um, in the beginning of this particular program called the Grip Program. We had uh, a shot caller, meaning somebody who's kind of in charge, a leader, from the Crips gang, a gang in mm-hmm. L.A., um, and his nickname was Warlock. And big guy sat there with his arms folded, didn't say anything, but at least he kept coming back, right? Mm-hmm. So we were kind of thinking, well, how can we, you know, get him going? And uh, there was a youngster who was from his neighborhood, and we went to him and said, you know, uh, we need you to be the uh, mentor to the, to this uh, youngster. Will you do that? And he said, okay, you know, since I know him from my hood, that's okay. So they started working, and he came alive. And at one point he raised his arm, and uh, he said, I got something. I, I said, okay, what did you get? He said, uh, hurt people hurt people. Mm-hmm. He said, he said, and I know, because I was six years old when my mother shot my alcoholic and abusive father. Mm. And the police surrounded the house. They didn't know what was going on, so it took like 14 hours before they entered it. And I, there I was as a six-year-old with my crying mother and my bleeding father. Mm. He said, then I lashed out from that pain and other pain that I've accumulated. I didn't know what to do with it. And and so I just acted it out. And then uh, we were all sitting, wow, it was a pretty eloquent statement here. And then his apprentice, uh, Brother G, he raised his hand. He said, I got something too. I said, well, what did you get? He said, well, healed people heal people. Hmm. He yes, said, and I know because this brother is teaching me how to live. And then both mm-hmm. men wept. 
Yeah. Yeah. Hugged and 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 wept together. And and so did the rest of us. It was just too potent of a scene. And so those eight words, hurt people, hurt people, healed people, heal people, uh, you know, have been used ever since to describe our program. That's incredible. That's incredible. And I know that that at the center of your work is um, something that you refer to as standing in the fire of... um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's of being called in, sitting in the fire, actually. Sitting in the fire, excuse me. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Of being yeah, trusted with somebody else's pain and right. both of the people in the program facing their own suffering and witnessing other people's suffering as a key element of the program. Yeah, yeah. We developed this meditation out of a need to uh, address that so much of these crimes came out of people not knowing how to deal with overwhelming emotions or mm-hmm. how to tolerate difficult sensations that lead to strong emotions. And that um, it was really important to address that in a, in a, in a way that would ritualize it, but it would also uh, uh, empower it and bring some dignity back. And so we developed this... this uh, exercise where men learn how to uh, sit and reflect and go to what we call original pain, you know, to collection of traumas that, that all of us in different ways as human beings gather, often starting at a young age, and don't know what to do with, right? And And frequently that leads to medicating it instead of processing it. And so in the, through this meditation, you get to face it. You know, we say there's mm-hmm. four strategies. You can run, you can hide, you can fight, or you can learn how to face something. Mm-hmm. And many of us in our youth go through different combinations, right, of, 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 the, yes, of the, sure. those early three. But the facing thing, you know, we don't get to learn so much. So, so that's what... Uh, addresses that. You go in through and out, you burn clean and, and leave ashes. Versus, you know, oh, reacting, that. Mm-hmm. reacting to that pain mm-hmm. and creating yet more pain, you know, something we call secondary pain. You could call karmic pain too, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so many of these lives, you know, so many of these lives are you know, and we actually, uh, in an exercise, work this out on the board, too, where we do a bit of a lifeline with these two cycles. You know, the, the, here's the pain I suffered, and here's the pain I created in being oh, reactive wow. to it. Mm-hmm. And then in the end, there's a cycle that returns. And it's, it starts with, you know, here's when I had my realization, my breakthrough moment, and here's where I begin to serve life instead of offend it. And then they get to uh, document that as well. That's incredible. I was very interested that you said, um, you talked about identifying the sensations that lead to emotions, not really talking about emotions, but the sensations that lead to emotion. I know that your background is in somatics, in mm-hmm. the body, and also in meditation and mindfulness. So how... How did you come? How how did you come to that? This is not, you know, um, because of your body orientation. The idea of sensation 
Um, being different than emotion is not something that people necessarily um, know how to separate or identify. Right. Yeah, good question. We, we found it became really important to, uh, you know, if, if, if you're trying to work with impulse control, then it implies you have to also understand how to track what's happening. Mm-hmm. And and after some careful observation through the years, uh, we found that there's a certain order into how what happens happens, if I may. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really, you know, it starts everything starts with what body registers, you know, through its portals. And there's these openings in our body: eyes, ears, nose. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Taste buds, right? Pores in the skin, and information comes in, and then whether depending on whether we like it or not, uh, we have an emotion about it, and then when that emotion becomes clear, there's a thought, you know, and that sort of filters through the memory banks too, right? As mm-hmm. based on what you've experienced already. And then that's followed by an action, and and so what we learned, it's like so you know prison speak, right? We go like, okay, your your neighbor, you're in your cell, your neighbor is playing the radio too loud, right? They're all not their heads. They've all been through that. Mm-hmm. So the first thing that happens is you cringe, you know. There's a contraction. You you maybe uh, frown your forehead or your eyebrows and. And there's a you know a feeling in the body of violation perhaps mm-hmm. and then there's an emotion in this case I don't like it I you know I don't like it it doesn't feel good and then very quickly there's a thought I I, I feel disrespected if, you know this guy's mm-hmm. not with it you know maybe I should teach him a lesson and uh, and then the action right. Uh, I'm going over, I'm either going to jump on the radio or on the guy, you know, depending mm-hmm. on whether he turns it down or not. Now, so that, all that can happen very, and it does, happen very quickly, right? So to learn how to break that down, and particularly by learning how to stay with the sensation as, as the main skill building piece in that exercise, mm-hmm. yes. proved really important because... The very person that then is disrespected is begins to be validated right there by, you know, being heard, in this case by himself, um, about what's going on. So these feelings can start knocking the, the door down because somebody's home to uh, receive them and, and validate them. And, and then they change, right? Sensations change constantly. Yes. And so that that also uh, becomes a factor that works in your favor because, um, you know, life is movement. So, so if, if you're registering something that's changing, you're at least not as stuck with something or not as set in your ways as to how to deal with it. So that, that's you know, right. like that a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so then, you know, in this, chain of events, sensation to emotion to thought to action, the the mindfulness, the meditation piece that you that you offer, is that um is that coming into uh to uh working with an opening of thought? Yes, 
Yes, it does. You know, when we start, you know, I asked them, uh, you know, how many how many of you are here? How many think you are here because of what you did? And, and virtually all of them raised their hand. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, let's explore that because perhaps, you know, it could be more precisely true to say that you're here because you believe the thoughts that justified what you did. Even further, um, when you look closely, perhaps you felt you were the victim and you acted out of that belief system. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, I get some eyebrows raised and some heads nodding slowly. And, and, I bet, and, yeah. Yeah, and we're beginning to investigate, right? Yes. And and the mindfulness, too, is, is you know, I tell them, I say, look, they have your body here, they have your movement, but they don't have your spirit. You know, there's a lot of That's room right. below the gate and above that gate. But do you have it? Are you do you cultivate it? You know, because uh, you know, having that kind of self knowledge and having that way of connecting to yourself is probably the deepest experience that you will foster in terms of feeling free. Mm-hmm. Yes, for anyone. For anyone. It was like inside on that or one, outside. Yeah, the prison between your ears, right? Calls right. mind. The prison between your ears, yes. Right, and it's like uh, we're all doing time. Yeah. And they know, they know there's people out there that are more in prison than they are, you know. They do. Uh-huh. Yeah. And by now they understand that it's not just the other side of the gate, you know. It's not just where you are; it's who you are. Yes. So, um, you have quoted me some statistics about violence and incarceration um, in the United States, which were just absolutely staggering to me. Mm-hmm. Can you repeat those for our listeners? Sure. Sure. It is, you know, and and it's fair to say that we're in a trance as a nation, you know, about how we incarcerate, the levels and the ways we incarcerate people. So currently, one in 108 Americans is in prison. One in 34 is either in prison, on parole, or probation. Right, That's over 7 million people right there. Uh, one in 28 school-aged children have a parent incarcerated. This is unbelievable. In California, so... it costs. Yeah, no, it's the the, the numbers are are incredible. In California, it costs sixty thousand dollars a year to incarcerate someone, which of course is actually more than, than school tuition and housing uh, for a year at Stanford. But um, 64% uh, of the people we released through this system is back within three years. And, you know, it's not just that they're back and they're going to cost more. It's also there's people that are victimized in the process. Mm-hmm. So what we do, you know, sometimes I feel more like a PTA mom than, a, than an activist or something. Because our, our cause is very middle of the road. Our cause is public safety. Our cause is... Preventing revictimization, you know, building healthy, mm-hmm. healthy communities. And it's yeah. a little odd 
to the extent that a nonprofit such as us is working very hard to put that on the map because it, it's really a government, uh, it's a charge that the government should take on. It costs $10 billion to incarcerate in California in the budget. $10 billion. And, uh, yeah, and very little of that goes to rehabilitation. And none of our money, none of what we do gets paid for by the government. It's all from private uh, private funds? It's all foundations and people that have seen it that are inspired and that understand, you know, just a bit, we're a bit on the bottom of the totem pole, right? Male offenders, male adult offenders. Mm-hmm, yes. Uh, doesn't come across too sentimental. But, but right. you know, right? But it is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it is an important way into a whole community. Sometimes I feel I should get a new bumper sticker made that says save the males. Mm. You know, you know how we started with save the whales. Yes. Because save the males. We, yeah, save the males. You know, and because, like, we're sort of the worst of it. We've we're responsible for most of everything that's gone wrong. But it's very hard to be a man, and and, and that discussion is not uh, made. You know, it's not had very much. So uh, anyway. Not, not to drift off here, but is, is this a discuss, is this a discussion that comes up in the program? Is this a discussion that comes up between uh, the inmates? Because certainly, I would imagine that that's that you're looking at that a lot. We do actually, you know, because there's a lot of uh, conditioning, right? That goes on yes. into, and a lot of it is not very visible. It starts with. You will get a pink blanket. I'll get a blue blanket. And and uh, you know I I can express these feelings and be validated as a strong male. And you can express your feelings and be validated as a as a good woman, right? And and mm-hmm. all of that is learned culturally. And uh, you know keeps a lot of belief systems going that don't create equality in relationships. So yeah, it's very much part of what we talk about. Mhm. Well, I want to share that I have been to San Quentin and That's right. seen seen you and um the men that you work with uh in action and uh it is stunning work. It is stunning work that you are all doing and the yeah, hard work that these yeah. men are doing. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I'm proud of of all of us there. You know, and it's it's kind of interesting that we've gone so deep that if we have people come and visit, that it often touches something that's unfinished business in those visitors, right? Right. And they go like, "How come this is happening in prison?" So, you know, that that is received with some pride by the guys because. You know, we've, we've created a different culture. It is a and, different culture. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And some of your graduates from the program get out of prison and are now working with um, challenged youth. Right. Inside yeah, out. Yeah, we kept hearing from the guys, uh, oh, man, I wish I'd known this when I was 15 years old. And mm-hmm. maybe I wouldn't have gone this route, right? Because... 
most of the men we're working with are violent offenders, and so and they're life sentenced with parole. So they have a chance to get out if the parole board deems them fit. Um, but they they're doing large chunks of time, and and many of them have taken a life. I mm-hmm. committed a murder, and so. I said, you know, maybe we wouldn't have gone in there if we'd known. And finally I said, I'm tired of hearing this. Let's let's go tell them. Mm-hmm. So we had a few guys that had come out and made it past the parole board. And we went into Richmond, into a youth center there, and went into a high school and um, pretty much end up with, you know, the youth that the teachers don't know what to do with anymore that are just sort of hopeless cases in their words. Mm-hmm. And it is hard work, it, you know. It, 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 it is very hard work to work with with these youth, but it's really neat to see that these men that have been there and done that, and that recognize a lot of broken family situations and and neighborhood issues and social justice issues. Uh, to see them work with these kids is such a beautiful thing because they're trained. It's not just that they've been there and done that, but they're trained. You know, we're mm-hmm. training these men yeah. to become facilitators, and they want to give back to the places they took from. So they have respect from these kids. They're called OGs, right, in the slang. It's called original gangsters. Hey, hey, OG, mm-hmm. what do you think? Yeah. You know, what do you think about this? And... uh and so we write that pony of the fascination with the, with all of that, but but then you know, turn turn a different direction, and, and so that's potent to see. It's incredible. So in the in the journey that you are on um, on behalf of people, on behalf of yourself, on behalf of making change. Um, what would you say is the change that you want to see in the world? And how do you feel uh, we're going to find it? Yeah, that's interesting, you know, because, you know, I've learned to look at these crimes as uh, inarticulate pleas for help, right? Mm-hmm. As as individual symptoms of a much larger social breakdown, You know, I feel more like an anthropologist sometimes than a facilitator when I start to think about, oh, well, maybe these aren't just all people that are out of it that are bad people or mentally ill people or whatever else label you could put on them. But Mm -hmm. maybe they're indicative of some ways about how we live here that need some serious... uh, Reflection and some serious uh, introspection. And, uh, you know, one thing that comes up, Sharon, is, um, you know, prisoners are sort of the ultimate other, right? There's a lot yes. of fear based yeah. media that milks that and that puts out gazillions of hours of shows that, like MS, MSNBC Lockup, for example, right? Where Mm-hmm. They reenact the crimes on scary music, and it, it sells ads. It, it creates adrenaline, but but it's such a skewed picture of, of what goes on. And so the the ultimate other is the the prisoners. And 
it seems to me that, you know, in the evolution of our species, if if I can digress a little bit, um, in, in the evolution of our species, there's one very serious question in front of us, which is, you know, will we evolve out of the us and them fallacy or not? Mm-hmm. And yeah. and in the environmental work, you know, there's some waking up. You know, there's some people that realize, oh, if the ice melts here, it's going to affect us here downstream. That's right. And if the atmosphere, you know, which is the real miracle of this planet, right, if the atmosphere gets screwed up by too much carbon dioxide, that's going to affect all of us. But there's so many other fields where that those that thinking you know, hasn't happened. And so social justice issues are, are a good example of that. And I think that, um, you know, th- th- there's so much more that we could do other than punishing people that would be cheaper, safer, and and more of a ennobling expression of who we are as human beings together. And so for me... You know, finding that edge in its deepest way in places like San Quentin State Prison has always been um, it's always been the most challenging and yet rewarding place to to learn those lessons. It's so beautifully said. That's so beautifully said. Um, it's time to to bring this to a close. And so I want uh, people to be able to find you and to be able to get in touch with you and support your program. So what is the best way for people to find you? We have a pretty lively website. With mm-hmm. It's a short five-minute award-winning video on it, on the homepage. Yes, the video is incredible. It is produced by by the people by the, the prisoners, program, right? Yeah. By the yeah. prisoners in the program, yes. It's so worth seeing. Thank you. So, you know, that's a good way to find us and to learn more about us and to contact us and to support and so, us. Should you be and so what is the address of, how can they find, what is the address of the website? Can you say it out loud? Yes, it's www.insight, in, as in having an insight, mm-hmm. G-H-T, uh, insight-out.org, insight-out.org. Great. That's, that's us. Wonderful. Well, I've I've so enjoyed speaking with you, and um, you are very uh, poetic about things that are really tough. You know, <laughs> you you speak many languages, and um, you convey you convey what you're doing so uh, powerfully and uh, and beautifully. And you are creating a compassionate picture with everything that you're saying. And I so appreciate you talking to me and uh, talking to the listeners. And I thank you so much. Yeah, no, it's it's well, you know, it's very welcome because you know we have four walls around us and, and and they're pretty effective. So you know, to have your ear and particularly because you've seen and visited us and. And your audience is uh, is a real uh, privilege. So thank you. Yes. Well, may we carry it forward. Okay, Jacques. Thank right. you so much. This has been passing for normal. 
conversations about seeding change in the world. To find out more about author Sharon Weil, go to PassingForNormal.com. That's passing numeral four normal.com. Donnie and Ursula Save the World is available in paperback, Kindle, and soon to be an audiobook at DonnieAndUrsula.com. So go out and do something brave today. M. Earth and I thank you.